Hello, welcome to Let's Talk Title with Emerald Coast Title Services. I'm your host and president, Dion Moniz, and with us is our co-host <laughs> slash director of operations, Ashley Bowen. And uh, so episode 13, this is part one. Lucky of a, 13. Lucky 13, that's right. You ready to play some craps? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a craps girl. I do too. I am too. I mean, I love craps. You're, you're a craps girl too. I'm a craps girl too. <laughs> <laughs> So today we're going to start a three-part series on comparing the two forms of contracts that are available, at least in our area. Uh, one is Farbar and the other is Crisp. And if you don't know, Farbar came out first and has been through several revisions. I guess the latest one is July of 17? April of 17. April of 17, thank you. And then, uh, so anyway, Farbar came out first and at some point thereafter, the Florida Association of Realtors decided that they would make it simpler and uh, came up with the CRISP form. And, um, and the CRISP stands for, we never tell people this. We don't. The Contract for Residential Sale and Purchase. Um, and the FAR bar is the Residential Contract for Sale and Purchase. They took out a word again, the residential part. Yep, <laughs> cutting out words. Right. That's, that's what it's all about. They've cut out about four pages of words actually between uh, CRISP versus FAR bar. But, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend the next three episodes explaining the main differences so that uh, you know what to look for in each contract. We all like Farbar better. Usually when I go give a class to agents, I try to get them all converted to Farbar. And taking you, the poll. Taking the poll, yeah. And then <laughs> by the end, most are, most are uh, uh, in favor of Farbar versus Crisp. So we're gonna explain why we like Farbar better. And like I said, explain the, 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 the nuances between the two. And so we'll start with how time is calculated between the two. Take well, it away, Ashley. Well, we're gonna pretty much go over, I think, page one, which is where the most blanks on the contract are. So I think we can spend a good amount of time on, on this first page. Um, but a very important thing, because there are dates on this first page, you've got your closing date, your um, date of acceptance, um, the earnest money deposit due date, so um, date is a big deal. So um, the, the time is calculated on the FARBAR contract. Days are, they use calendar days um, on the FARBAR um, to calculate all the time periods. And then on the CRISP, they use just business days. So you're gonna have to look at a calendar and count um, the business days. They don't include Saturdays or Sundays or national legal holidays. The deadline ends on the CRISP calendar at 5 p.m. Um, and on the far bar, it's it's kind of gray. It doesn't tell us when it ends. I believe that to mean it's 11.59 p.m. Um, on the, the due date. Dion thinks that we should go with 5 p.m. just to be safe. Yes. So it's weird because in CRISP, they actually identify the, the when they go through the definition of the deadline, they say 5 p.m. on that date. Uh, far bar does not have that language, but they have language about if the if the deadline falls on a weekend or a holiday, then you go to the next business day, 5 p.m. And so by implication, as a lawyer, I'm gonna say, let's use 5 p.m. for everything just to be safe, but there is some gray area. And so it's possible you could use 11.59 as the, uh, as the deadline, but I'd rather everyone stick to 5 p.m. so we don't ever run into that. And when it comes to deadlines, all of the deadlines are important. Um, the first important deadline that you come to in a contract is that earnest money deposit due date. 
Um, and right now, that's one of the most important deadlines. It really is. Right now, in, in our office, I've got our closing agent in there. Um, some buyer can't get here you know, today. Can he please do it first thing in the morning? And we can't say yes or no because right now, the way things are, there may be backup offers and the seller can just say, 501, you're out, next one in. So, um, you know, we're having to communicate with all parties and make sure that everybody's okay with it not getting there on time. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's important this day and age. Yeah, with this hot market. So under the contract, both forms, they both say, I think the default is three days. From three days from the effective date, you have to have your EMD to us as the escrow agent or closing agent. And if you don't, then seller then has the ability to basically invalidate the contract. And so in the old days, you know, it was easy just to give a couple days uh, it's extension. In the mail. It's in the mail, whatever. Um, but now, with the market as hot as it is, as soon as it goes under contract, more than likely you've got someone behind them that's ready to pay more money. And so the seller is looking for the easiest way out to go to the next highest offer. And so this is the very first opportunity. EMT's the easiest way to yep. do it. Um, and if you are in a far bar contract and you go into contract on a Friday, clock starts Saturday, you've got Saturday, Sunday, Monday, EMDs do Monday. So if it was after hours, you know, on Friday, they couldn't even get a wire to us until today. And if they're at work and they can't get to the bank, then there's, there's some issues there. So yeah, don't plan wait, ahead. don't wait till the last day, because if you don't get the wire in before two o'clock, it's not going out that day. And sometimes even if you get in before two o'clock, it still gets hung up in the fed and could take longer. And that gives us the ability to argue that the buyer tried and it's the bank's fault or the Fed's fault, but still, you don't want to get into that situation because it could end up in litigation. No, better so. to be safe than sorry. If you're here, if you're coming here on the weekend to look at property, bring your checkbook with you. We'll take a personal check for EMD. That's right. Yes. Checks count. Uh, we'll take cash if we have to. Or if we have to. If we have to. We have a bank downstairs that'll take it for us. Uh, so yeah, check or wire. So, Ashley, when is the effective date that starts the clock on all these contracts? The effective date is going to be the day that every person has signed the, the contract and it's been delivered. Um, so, and it, delivered means all parties have it. Um, yeah, that's the important part. So, and it, it would be or the, either the contract or the last counter offer. Um, in the contract, the buyer submits the contract to the seller. Um, there's a box to check if the seller counters the buyer's offer. The seller will then, um, you know, submit their counter offer to the buyer, and the buyer has to sign it. The last date that everybody has signed the contract and it's been delivered to all parties, um, that is your effective date, and that's where all of these calculations are um, based off of. And so that's where we get to use 11.59 p.m. As long as it's signed and delivered by 11.59 p.m., then your clock for all these deadlines start on the following day. And it depends on CRISP or FARBAR. If you're under CRISP, it's the following business day. FARBAR, it's the following calendar day. Um, but if it's signed on one day but not delivered until the following day, then the clock doesn't start until... The day after that. It's been delivered to all parties. But yeah. most people nowadays use DocuSign or Dotloop or one of those. Um, and whenever you do signings electronically, 
it typically date stamps it and automatically delivers it once it's been fully executed. So that's, yeah, that's, right. that's good. But if you're going back to the old school way and you have to email it to everybody, the fully executed, even if you don't email the fully executed, even if you're using one of these um, DocuSign or DotLoop or whatever, um, I suggest always send it, getting a copy of the, the fully executed contract and shooting out an email to all parties saying, here's the fully executed contract. Our effective date is blank. That way, um, everybody's on the same page at the very beginning. What is the effective date? Because if you wait until we're in a deadline and then you start arguing about when's the effective date, then things can get real hairy. But if you exactly. knock that out at the beginning, everybody can get on the same page and we all know what it is. I think that's very important. Yeah. Cause the first thing I have to do, if someone comes to me to figure out whether a deadline's been blown or the EMD uh, is in dispute, whatever. First thing I do is look at the effective date, uh, and then I have to start calculating deadlines from there. So, uh, so that's very important. So let's give a quick example uh, to illustrate the difference between calendar and business days. So contract is signed and delivered on Friday under crisp. The clock doesn't actually start until Monday. So you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is when the EMD is due. So I used to always tell people on the far bar contract, like when it comes to earnest money, if you're going to go under contract on a Thursday or Friday, always ask for like five or six days to get your EMD in. Um, and that used to work. That used to be a thing, but now sellers don't want to take it off the market that long. Yeah. And exactly. so and you really have to be on the ball. You may have to take a PTO day to go to your bank and do a wire transfer. Yeah. If you want the house that bad. That's right. <laughs> And so what some agents will do if they automatically want more time is they just use crisp because everything's calculated business days instead of calendar days. And so that could be a trick of the trade that you use depending. But that also could end mean not getting uh, the offer accepted if it's on crisp and, and the buyer uh, prefers Farbar because of the shorter timeframes. Seller prefers Farbar. Thank you. Seller prefers Farbar. Got you there. <laughs> you got me again. <laughs> So the other, the other quick thing, the other big difference between CRISP and um, FARBAR when it comes to calculating deadlines is in FARBAR, the default dates, if you leave it blank, it'll have a default date and it's always X number of days from the effective date or X number of days before the closing. However, CRISP, at least on two occasions, one is the financing contingency and the other is the inspection period. The it'll, title... Um the title as well. Title evidence period is the same. Ah, mm -hmm. Thank you. So it'll use a floating deadline, uh, which for instance, under the financing contingency, it's the earlier of 30 days after the effective date or 10 days before closing. So in that situation, you're having to calculate two different dates and figure out which one applies. And so it just makes it more complicated. Well, and it's the same for inspection periods on the CRISP, that right. it's 10 days after the effective date or 10 days before closing. Um, in an inspection period, I think that's, I mean, both financing and inspection periods, they're both important, mm -hmm. but um, that's why no matter what contract you use, we don't want to see blanks anywhere. That's right. We don't like blanks. No, no blanks. Actually. <laughs> no. Blanks are bad. Just, you know, fill in a date, an actual date, and then there's no questions about deadlines. That's right. But most agents aren't going to do that. You should be one of the agents that do do that. <laughs> fill, in, fill in the blanks. You're going to do it because you're watching our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> One of 10. All right. So uh, the next thing we're going to go over. Well, I think that the most, I, let's go over the first line of the contract. Um, 
who's the seller whenever, yeah. you know, who are you guys right. dealing with? Who's, who's the buyer? Who's the seller? What property are you dealing with? This is the who, what, when, where, and why, um, page of the contract. Yep. Um, the buyer, I mean, you, you should ask them how they want to take title, but as long as you check the assignability, um, box in the contract, um, where I like the, um, the box that says buyer may, um, assign, but not be released from liability. So right. the seller sh shouldn't balk at that too much. Right. So if the buyer decides that they want to put it in their trust or in their LLC, or if they go under contract in their LLC and then their lender won't lend to them like that and it has to be in their individual names, then you've got room to wiggle around and you don't have to do any addendums or anything. Um, but the seller, that's the most important one. Like who, who owns this property? Who are we, who are we giving this offer to? Yeah. And so what the agent needs to do on the seller side is always look up the last deed. What do you call it? The vesting deed. The vesting deed. Thank you. Um, I call it the last deed of record. <laughs> We, uh, to make sure that the parties on the title or on the deed match up with A, your listing agreement, and B, the contract. And you could very well, the last vesting deed could be um, a, a husband and wife. One of the parties is dead or a, a dead parent. Um, it could be an entity that has been since been dissolved. If any of those cases happen, don't be scared. We can fix it. Um, you can always, a, a dissolved LLC or a dissolved corporation can convey property in winding up business. Yep. So that's no big deal. It's just a special affidavit that we have to use. Um, and if we have, if we see dead people, you know, we like to talk about that it happens a lot. We have a whole episode dedicated to seeing dead people. <laughs> yes. Um, we can, we've got a probate attorney here on staff that can help us with that. Um, so, so don't be scared, but we'll fix whatever your problems are unless your John Doe is trying to sell the property that it's really owned by Mary Smith, then we might have a problem. <laughs> yeah. That can be fixed too. Just whether we can fix it without litigation is, <laughs> is, is another issue. Um, so yeah, one of the big things we see is divorcing couples to where the divorce isn't quite finalized. And one of the soon to be ex-spouses will come to us uh, or come to a, an agent wanting to sell the property only to find out that the divorce isn't final and they both have to be in the contract and on the deed. So, And we've come, uh, we've closed in situations such as that where the wife is supposed to get it in the final um, judgment of dissolution of marriage. Um, but what we've had to do is both parties have to sign and then we have deposited the proceeds into one of the attorney's trust right. accounts right. and then they hold it until the divorce is finalized. Yeah. But we have to abide by a final judgment of dissolution of marriage. We yep. can't just go by your word. Yep. Sorry. We have to see those documents. It's all about the documents. All right. So one of the big, uh, the next big thing, uh, is the personal property. That's really, uh, well, it's always been important, but it's gotten to be really important lately. Uh, with little disputes on is the washer and dryer supposed to stay or the TV supposed to stay on the wall? Is that fancy wine cooler uh, that may or not, may not be built in, is that supposed to stay? And so the Crisp and Farber contracts are a little bit different as to what's included as personal property on that uh, under Section 1. Crisp, for instance, does include washer and dryer. Farber does not. Uh, Farber lists things like the disposal and garage door openers, 
uh, and the security gate, which Chris does not. So it's important to understand what's in those lists. So depending on which contract you're on, you need to go in and list the other personal property items that are not already in there, but are either uh, staying or, 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 well, that are going with the house. So have you need to have a, a conversation, whether you're the listing agent or the buying, the selling agent, you need to have a conversation with your clients. Talk yes. to the buyer. Do you want that washer and dryer? Is that important to you? Then we need to add it here to include yep. it um, if you're on a far bar. Um, and then if you're a listing agent and you get an offer on a crisp, tell them, hey, this says you have to leave your washer and dryer. If you want to take it with you, you need to make it an exclusion from the purchase. Um, and then another thing that sometimes comes up is if it's if the property is being sold fully furnished, I think it's important that talk to the lender first. Um, if you do write it down, make sure that it's very clear that it's conveying no value. Right. Um, or if the lender doesn't want to see it at all, then you may need to have like a separate bill of sale or a separate side addendum to the contract. Right. Which we can handle that as well if needed. Um, yeah, the TVs on the wall, that's a big thing. Everyone has mounted TVs these days. The, the mount that's bolted to the wall is considered a fixture, but the TV is not. So make sure you specify if those TVs are supposed to stay. I mentioned the wine coolers earlier. That's another one because that's not one of the standard appliances uh, that would be, um, you know, assumed that would stay and, and are listed in there like a refrigerator, dishwasher, and range. So specify whether that's supposed to stay. Um, and on, on this contract, it states that the following items which are owned by the seller and existing on the property as of the date of the initial offer are included in the purchase. Make sure that your seller is aware that you might have this fancy 70-inch TV on the wall and you can't go and like, or if it's included, you can't go swap it out or what right. have you. If it's like a, a very expensive refrigerator, you can't go swap it out with a cheaper one before closing because you're still conveying refrigerator. Yeah, It has right. to be the one that was on the property on the date of the offer. Yeah, that's a good point. And going back to your point about if you're buying it fully furnished, Take photos or reference that the photos and the MLS is what will depict the property because it's you had, best to take your own photos. You I had mean, a closing where <laughs> you went to close one. and some of the stuff was gone. Antiques. It, yeah, and so that was one of the ended up being like a four or six hour closing. It was longer that. than that. I think I got there at ten a.m. and didn't leave until about five um, because we had to go back and forth. The seller left with all of these antiques. The buyer got there. We closed at the house. Thank goodness, because had we not closed at the house, they wouldn't have known until after right. yeah. you know, we were done with the closing and they went to check it out. Um, and so back and forth, the seller coming back, what are we going to, you know, what kind of value are we going to put on these? So it ended up being like an $80,000 credit from the seller to the buyer because of the antiques. And they were still not super happy because they wanted, you know, those. Sure. You can't just go to Pottery Barn yeah. and buy new ones, but it worked out after seven hours we closed it but so, it was great that we had photo evidence yeah and so yeah so during your final walkthrough make sure everything that's supposed to be there is still there uh, so they won't have any issues and it's easier to have pictures instead of writing down the pineapple painting in the hallway or the brown console table to just take pictures of everything and instead of writing all that down you can say see attached photos of personal property that will convey yeah, exactly. So pictures are easy. And you have a camera with you everywhere you go. Yep. So. All right. So next up, 
We want to talk about the property description? I think that's important. Um, you know, street address, city, zip. I mean, that is not what we insure. We do not insure a address. Um, like in Rosemary, a lot of the properties have two addresses, like the alley address and then the front address. But I don't care what the address is because that's not what we insure. Um, what I really want to see is the property ID number, yep. um, which you'll get from the property appraiser's website. Um, and then a short form legal, you don't have to do like some con, you know, condo descriptions can be this big because it notates all of the amendments to the declaration, but you can just say, you know, unit 206 at ABC condominium, um, or lot 13 block B. And if it's meets and bounds, if you're not going to ever be able to write all that. Yeah. What I really want is that parcel ID number. Yeah. Cause that's the easiest way. And and we're going to pull the legal description ourselves anyways. Right. But to have the tax ID and a short legal, then at least you've got two ways of confirming you've got the right property in case there's a typo or a... You know, and that happens all the time. Yeah. Which is why you need title insurance. Exactly. <laughs> it's a whole nother episode on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, our favorite part of the contract is where you list the escrow agent. Mm -hmm. That should always say Emerald Coast Title Services. We'll take really good care of you. That's right. So if you don't fill in any other blanks, make sure you fill in that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll forgive you. Yeah. We'll walk you through it and smack your hand and say next time. Exactly. Uh, and of course, closing date, again, uh, that is when you do have to fill in. That's the other critical date on the contract. Well, and you just really need to be... Be reasonable. Um, if you're getting a lender, ask them before you go under. I mean, hopefully your buyer has talked to a lender before. And so it's easy to pick up the phone and say, about how long is underwriting taking these days? What do you think I should say? Um, I know we, it used to be 30 days and then we got to the 45 days where, you know, that was the safe bet. Yeah, when um, it came out with all the trade stuff. But we've been... It came um, back 30 well, and then it went back to 45 after the COVID stuff. <laughs> so, um, but there are still lenders that can get it done in 30. So just, you know, get it from your lender. The key is being a local lender. We love a local lender. The lender needs to know the market. And we've seen it a couple times now recently where, well, we've seen it several times before, but now the sellers aren't willing to give extensions. So mm -hmm. the buyer is under a financing contingency and they're not using a local bank that bank might take longer in underwriting because they don't know the area or the property, whereas the other banks here do. They may have closed it two or three times and before. They, and they can pull condo docs in their sleep. Exactly. And it's just easy. They know what to ask for, and they know they need to get it at this time to submit it to underwriting at this time. And, and your favorite banker in Pennsylvania who does everything for you and who's a great banker isn't going to know um, what, what it takes to close down here. And whenever you're in a time crunch and we've got the market like we do, just it's really important to, to go local. And you can ask us. We'll be happy to give you, you know, five different lenders' names that you can call and talk to. Yeah, because if, if the lender can't get that underwriting done in time, which we'll get into that next episode with the financing contingencies, but, you know, then you're losing the contract or you're going to lose your E&D if you let, let it go and still can't close. So, and if you're really cash... I, I, we pride ourselves on the fact that we can get a cash deal done fast. We have great relationships with our underwriters. 
I can typically, if I need to, I can get title work back same day. Um, and then estoppels, you can pick up the phone and call and beg and say, Hey, we got this contract today. We're closing in two days. Can you please help? And they will. I mean, I'm, I love, love a three day closing. I really do. As long do. as it's not every closing. Yeah. As long as it's not everyone. Um, and a, a lot of times I see these cash lately, I've been seeing cash deals and they have like two week closings and can you do it? And I'm like, Psh, yeah, that's like, I'm going to sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we can do it in three days. Two weeks is better. Uh, but yeah, so, um, but the other thing, especially if there's contingencies like the financing where you got to get a survey, uh, appraisal, I mean, those are taking longer because the surveyors and appraisers are so busy. So it's really hard now to get a closing done in 30 days. Well, but that's another thing with the lend- with our local lenders is that they know what what's right. happening with these closings. And so if you can get a 45-day closing from the seller, great, then do it. But if you need it to be quicker, um, I I was talking to a lender the other day and they had to pay like $3,000 rush fee to get an appraisal done in time. But they know the market and they know that's what's needed and they got it done in time. Yeah. So um, again, we should be like a commercial for local yeah, lenders. Sure. <laughs> we should be paid to promote them. <laughs> we should. I think that might be a rest of violation. Though. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> That's why I will give five names. That's right. That's why we haven't <laughs> named anyone here. But yes, it is uh, very important for all those reasons to keep it local uh, when it comes to buying uh, real estate here in our little paradise. Is that going to do it for this first? I think part? so. I think I think that was a lot. There's a lot of information on this first page, um, and so you know the difference in the way that time is calculated, yeah. um, and then the differences in the personal property, and those are the major differences I think in in this page of these two contracts. All right. Well, stay tuned for part two. We'll come back and we'll start with the financing contingencies. That's a big uh, meaty section of both contracts and they're both very different. So we'll spend some time on that next time. Uh, as always, uh, we always like to hear uh, what, it, what topics you'd like us to present on. Or if you're interested in being a guest and sharing some good information with us, let us know that too. If you have any suggestions, drop it here. <laughs> That's right. And uh, and punch that like button. Is that what you say? Smash that like button. <laughs> I'm getting there. Don't we have an event coming up? We do actually. Thank you. So July 15th at the Chamber Boardroom, we are going to be putting together a seminar along with AB Plus Productions. Otto Bowman's going to come speak and tell all the realtors the importance of having your Google Places page up and running and optimized. And uh, Centennial Bank is going to be sponsoring lunch for us, so it should be really good. Uh, We're looking forward to it. So for more information, check us out on our Facebook page or Instagram or website or down below. Or Uh, Google. Or Google. You can Google us. Exactly. All right. Well, other than that, we'll see you next time. Check you later. (laughs)